On any given day in this country, more than 75,000 military veterans are homeless. So we were shocked to discover what's become of land in Southern California that was meant to house homeless veterans, and once did. Bill Whitaker investigated. In four tours in Iraq, Sergeant Freddy Cordova saw friends blown up by IEDs and learned to kill or be killed. What keeps you warm in Iraq during the winter is if you hate. Back home in 2008, he was diagnosed with severe depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Made me very angry, very ill-tempered, very short-tempered. After intensive VA counseling, he keeps his rage under control and channels the negative into positive. Freddie, Freddie, all right. He helps vets with even worse PTSD, like Vietnam vet John Aldridge, who can't hold a job and lives by a freeway in L.A. L.A. is the homeless vet capital of the U.S. with more than 8,000 on city streets. It makes Cordova angry again, especially since just blocks away sits almost 400 acres, half the size of Central Park, donated to the U.S. government after the Civil War expressly to provide housing for disabled veterans. While today there is a large VA hospital there and an old age home for veterans, most of the land and buildings that once housed homeless vets have been vacant and dilapidated for decades. What's more, with the city encroaching on all sides, the VA now leases about a third of the property for private use to a bus company, to Enterprise Rent-A-Car, for UCLA's baseball stadium, a private school's athletic field. There's even a golf course and a dog park, and there's no public record of where the money goes. I just get serious about it. For seven years, Bobby Schreiber, former mayor of nearby Santa Monica, has been pressing the VA to spend the money to provide housing for homeless, traumatized vets. I think it's terrible. It's allowing people to live in the streets and die when you have this kind of a facility and this kind of treatment is un-American. So he joined veterans and the ACLU in a lawsuit to force the VA to rehab this facility to house two to 300 vets with PTSD. The Department of Veterans Affairs declined to talk to us, but insists it has gotten thousands of homeless veterans off the streets and into community centers. Last week, the VA announced a master plan to rehab buildings here for veterans suffering PTSD. But the plan has no timetable and no budget, which likely means no help anytime soon for homeless vets like Luis Gonzalez and his wife. He says Vietnam was easier than the streets. To the military, this survival. You gotta kill to survive. That here is hard. If we don't get him off the street, he's gonna be another one that's, you know, that's MIA. He's not here missing in America. While the courts decide the best use of this property, Freddie Cordova will do the best he can, helping one vet at a time. Bill Whitaker, CBS News, Los Angeles. gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we continue our series on America's veterans betrayed by their own country. What does that mean? You'll know that after this. This is AJC Radio. We take off right now. (laughs) 
There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Demetrius Harper, Dave Zapolo, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, Clinton Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and Tanique Wright, and the entire AJC Radio team as we again do this final show on our veterans really left behind in harm's way. And we're going to get into the information and based upon the introduction of the show, uh, the homelessness in this country uh, should not consist of not one veteran here in the United States. And why that is, it simply is blatant abuse, a negligent attitude towards those that have fought, that have served this country uh, is absolutely unacceptable. We should be able to conclude this uh, series tonight. And uh, Dennis, as we get into this topic, you've been a veteran yourself. How important is it that we continue this story? It's very important that we get it out there that, uh, like you said, there should be no veterans that are homeless. I mean, after the time that they serve, some have served combat. Uh, yeah, they come back, their minds a little gone. They're going through some things, but uh, for, the, for them to have to live on the street and have to, uh, you know, fight to survive is just, uh, it's, it's just so wrong. And then the, the medical portion is just out of whack, too, because, you know, they go to a medical facility and they get the least amount of care or they overdrug them uh, just to get them out there here. But I tell you, uh, we, this story uh, has to get out there to make sure people understand that vets ain't getting what America is saying they're giving them. And there's a there's a narrative, it's a false narrative that's being displayed across this country uh, that the veterans are cared about, they are uh, our heroes, they're this and that. But in reality, when it comes down to how they have been treated, uh, that simply is not the case. So we're going to get into that tonight. Uh, and Samson, your thoughts? Well, I mean, just looking at it, you know, it's absolutely disgusting to me that you know, over a third of the homeless population here right in our own, you know, backyard is veterans. You know, the fact that the gentleman said that, you know, it's it's easier in, you know, I, I guess he said Vietnam, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tack on Iraq and Afghanistan as well. I mean, yeah, over there you're worried about getting shot at, but you're not worried about your basic necessities. You know, you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. You don't have to worry about having clothes in your back or running water or anything else like that, you know, so for some veterans, especially those, like, you know, that have seen combat, that those do have PTSD or something else that, you know, that combat zone is more comfortable for them because the fact matter is, yeah, I know I'm going to go and, and fight for my life every day, but at least my basic needs are taken care of and I don't have people looking down on me versus coming back to what's supposed to be, you know, our, our, our homeland here and now we have 75,000 on the streets at least that are veterans. Like how, that, many, how many did you say? I think this is, they say at least 75,000 or so across the United States, at least. And that's just in one. It's a, it's a lot higher than that. Um, I thought it was well over 100,000 veterans on the street. I don't know if that's correct. I believe that was a pretty high number. Yeah. Uh, and, Clint, I think you, you alluded to the fact that in California, did you say 60,000? No, there's 160,000 total homeless. Just in California. In California. Total homeless. Yeah. But not necessarily the veterans. What was the veterans well, number? I, I, I am not sure, but I believe that uh, the number, the percentage that Samson is, is quoted uh, is, is, is common. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, across society at large. I mean, we're no different, you know. So. And, and Lamont, I just got to, I just, I just found an article here. So this not, if this doesn't go to individual veterans. There are 38,000 veteran households across the United States right now that are um, that are homeless 
and that the VA is trying to place in permanent housing. So that's just the ones that they've identified. I right. guarantee that those numbers are easily twice that because there are a lot of veterans. They won't go out there and seek help because the fact of the matter is when you see, you know, what some of these guys have seen and then you don't feel like you can trust somebody, especially the, the, the VA, I guarantee there's a vast population of veterans that don't feel like they can trust the VA. They're not going to go to anybody for help. They would rather scratch and get by how they know how versus going to somebody and getting, you know, getting stabbed in the back, getting mocked and everything else like that, because that's the whole thing. Like when you're a soldier, when you're a service member, there's a certain amount of pride and dignity that goes into that lifestyle. And when you, so when you come home and you're having to, you know, barely get by, barely make ends meet or, you know, panhandle just to try and find out where your next meal is coming, like that does not bode well for somebody that has served our country with dignity and, you know, regardless of how they did that. No, no, absolutely right. So I found some statistics for from 2022, and it said on any given night, there are 40,000 veterans that are without shelter. However, they said uh, it's impossible to count because not everybody knows that just because you're homeless, are you a vet, right? So those are the ones who have stayed at a shelter or have uh, have stated that they are. So, But they said that's of the ones who said that they were veterans, but it's an impossible number to find out because you can't count all of them. Oh, well, absolutely. One is too many um, to be on the streets in this country. That is a disgrace. Uh, and we tout ourselves as a country that we uh, care about our veterans. We're, they mean everything to us. They're this, they're that. But in reality, when it comes down to the brass tax, they're short. They're coming up a lot short. We're going to get into all of that on the other side of the break. Feel free to dial into the show, 646-200-0628. Tonight, the conclusion of our Americans' veterans betrayed betrayal at a high level. And why is it betrayal? It's within their own country in which they live and fought for. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. In the fabric of America, they are the toughest threads. One of the first things they learned was the code that every service member lives by. Leave no one behind. Now all of us need to live by it too, because some veterans are being left behind. Twenty of them take their own lives every day. Learn how to be there for a veteran at BeThereForVeterans.com. Honor the code. Be there. Leave no one behind. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. 
Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister, a registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed a rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We can can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Columbine, Virginia Tech. Tucson. Aurora. Fort Hood. Oak Creek, Newtown. 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 How many more? How many more? How many more colleges? How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters? How many more houses of faith? How many more shopping malls? How many more street corners? How many more? How many more? Enough. 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 Demand a plan. Right now. As a mom. As a dad. As a friend. As a husband. As a wife. As an American. As an American. As an American. As a human being. For the children of Sandy Hook. Demand a plan. No more lists of names. It's not too soon. It's too late. Now is the time. Before we all know someone who loved someone on that list. No more lists. No more. Who they might have been. No more. If we had just done something yesterday. It's time. We can do better than this. We can do better than this. It's time. It's time. It's time for our leaders to act. Demand a plan. Right now. Right now. You! Demand it! Enough. 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 Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught, and they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, We have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we We have more people locked up than China. China who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? 
You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life based on what happened that night? That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America, and it's time to do something. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. As tonight we deal with the American veterans betrayed by their own country and left in harm's way. Uh, we'll conclude this show tonight, but a, a couple of things in current news. Uh, to the family, uh, as you heard, the passing of Coolio uh, passed away uh, yesterday at the age of 59. Our condolences go out to his family, friends, and those that uh, that were close to him, and, of course, his fan base uh, uh a serious loss there. Uh, uh, there's some outrage that's growing in Phoenix in regarding a police killing of black man who needed help. Um, Phoenix police shot and killed uh, Ali Osman, a 34-year-old black man, on Saturday uh, during an incident that is sparking outrage among some activists in the city's close-knit Somali community to which he belongs. The seventh fatal shooting by Phoenix police in 2022. The first since Chief Michael Sullivan took command of the agency on September 12th. He's someone who needed help, said Makur Shikai, a community organizer with the Somali Association of Arizona, who told Phoenix News Times he had known um, Osman and his family for years. Instead, somehow, the Phoenix police decided to shoot him. The Phoenix Police Department has released a few details about the deadly incident. A police spokesman confirmed the New Times that body camera footage would be available on October 8th. In a brief statement to media outlets on September 25th, police said officers encountered Osman at the intersection of 19th Avenue and Tucky Lane about 6.45 p.m. on Saturday. Um, uh, as two police vehicles drove through the intersection, police said the cruisers were struck by unknown items 
The officers left the area, talked with others about uh, what, they, what had happened as they approached. According to the agency's description of the shooting, commands were given for the man to stop. He did not. That's when the officer involved shooting occurred. Police said Osmond did not have any weapons, according to information released about the shooting. A bystander's video of the incident stated that that is circulating on social media shows three patrol cars parked at the southwestern corner of Tucky Lane and 19th Avenue. Um, and basically, the witnesses confirm his identity in the video. The man is heard begging the police to allow him to intervene from the other side. You're going to end up shooting and killing him, he said, by informing the officers he was certified with the state as mental health support. Further information on this story is that he was throwing rocks uh, of some sort in the area, not necessarily directly at the police initially. Uh, the police officers pulled up, uh, but he suffered from mental Tanique, I think you know a little bit about this. He suffered from mental issues. Is yeah, correct? and they said if they would have reviewed his history before going on scene, they would have seen that the cops have been called multiple times because he do does deal with mental issues, but they, he doesn't have a history of violence. Um, and so that's where they were saying this bystander's on the side of the road begging to help who's a health, who's a mental health, health professional. professional, and he was trying to de-escalate the situation, but the cops end up opening fire because they said the rocks were a weapon. Are you kidding me? That is just unbelievably ridiculous. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing it before the end of the season break. We're going to be doing some shows uh, regarding police brutality and the innocence, the victims of police brutality and the, and the outcome of those issues. But stay tuned here on our show. We'll get more in, as, as we're updated more on this story. Uh, 34 years old, shot dead by police. Um, but you can approach the police with a knife and, and threatening to use that knife and stay alive. You can come out of a movie theater with tons of weapons and guns and everything else and you stay alive. But a mental uh, patient suffering from mental issues, throwing rocks, you, you actually shoot him dead. The rocks absolutely were no threat uh, to these officers. That is utterly ridiculous. But again, stay tuned here. We'll be giving you more information on that. Uh, now, as we turn the page, going into uh, the veteran problem in this country, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the suicide rate of veterans uh, and what's going on with that, why veterans are at a high level for committing suicide uh, after returning really to their homeland uh, and feeling a sense of betrayal by the country in which they have fought for. Uh, can you give some insight on that, Dennis? What happens is a, a lot of the veterans, when they get out, they they they, they, they come out underskilled, and it's not that it's not it's because of the access to education while training or deploying is very limited. So it's not like they get so much education they become these you know professionals. Don't get me wrong, some do, based on you know how long they've been in. So a lot of them when they get out early. And they go into that workforce and they try to compete uh, with, with, you know, individual college educations and stuff like that. They find out that, man, I don't know what I thought I knew. And so what happens is they become depressed. They get on medications. And before you know it, they're like, wow, I mean, maybe I'm not made for this. And a lot of them do, you know, go to suicide as a solution, which is sad. But it's, it's because of the way the arm, the way the armed forces are designed. I mean, there's no, they, they, they don't set them up to get out of the military. 
So, so there's no plan. There's, there's place. really no planning place. It's just, you know, you you, you start clearing. Uh, you know, they 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 check you for you know your little medical issues. They're not looking for much, but it's not like they're truly preparing you uh, for the outside world. So a lot of the veterans say, "Hey, I can't deal with this." So they, you know what? It, this is what is very very sad. It sounds like someone uh, who is getting out of prison uh, and trying to readjust to society and the veterans i believe that is a sad comparison to compare but they feel forgotten they don't feel like nobody cares um why isn't a plan in place that upon veterans coming home housing should be in place for these families for these veterans i believe at one point i believe at one point we ran into a situation where there was um some training of wives uh, when why I forget the exact specifics of this story, but it was wounded soldiers coming home, and the wives then were in a position to try to be acclimated to take care of a soldier that's wounded because and to help and to really really serious training about that. Samson, no, just um, to your point along the lines of what Dennis was saying too is um, when you come back like these soldiers that have gone to combat. Those that come back with PTSD or, or worse, um, there's not a whole lot to help us reintegrate back into not just our normal military lives, but into society as a whole. Because the fact of the matter is, is like once you've gone there, like it, it, it changes you fundamentally as a person. So, I mean, what people don't realize is that like you, you'll see a veteran, you know, they'll, you can tell I mean, we get spotted really easy. You walk into a restaurant, you scan the whole place. Oh, you're a veteran. They don't even ask if you, if you want a veteran discount on your check. They're going to go ahead and put it on there because they saw you just by your mannerism. You know, you don't want to sit with your back to a door. Like there, there are these things. These are skills that they do not teach these, these men and women whenever they come home that basically try and get them at least back to the close as close as they can to being what they considered normal before they deployed to Dennis's point. There are so many service members that do not know about all the benefits that are afforded to them so that they don't have to wind up basically homeless or un uneducated or undereducated to try and re rejoin society. Because the fact of the matter is you get a kid that goes into the military for let's say six years. Well, his buddy that went to college, now he's gone to college for, you know, got a degree for four years and he's already been out there in the workforce. So for all corporate society, for anybody else, when this guy tries to go out there and get a job, well, you're six years behind. So on top of, you know, going and serving and doing everything that we can, you know, then we come out and we're actually behind the power curve. So we, th we feel like we have to work that much harder, put in that much more time, that much more work. You know, that's why on average, they, there's actually a group out there is called, you know, I think it's called uh, 22 a day, where they, they, on average, there are 22 service members that commit suicide in this country every single day combat veterans or and non-combat veterans alike because the simple fact of the matter is is we get back into normal society we're used to having this camaraderie we used to having people that we can trust that, that will have our back no matter what goes on and then you get out here in the real world and it's nothing like that and it's a complete culture shock no this is that's really unacceptable man it's, it's a horrible situation uh over 30,000 veterans have killed themselves since 2001. Only 7,057 soldiers killed in combat during the same time period. That is astronomical. Uh, I'm going to play a clip real quick. We'll get your comments, Dave, on the other side of this. 
veterans really that uh, have been discarded and forgotten. Let's play the clip. Within a couple of days of getting there, everybody was sick. After the first Gulf War, thousands of American soldiers occurred from Iraq, complaining of a variety of troubling symptoms. My toes, they were cracking and bleeding. Severe body pain. They can't seem to give me a direct answer. Some of these illnesses may be the result of exposure to chemical and biological agents in that region. They weren't told that they were chemical weapons stored sites. They were just told they were ammunition depots, and they blew up those depots. DOD knew dusty agents would make our chemical suits totally and utterly useless. It's almost criminal the lack of cooperation we've received from various government agencies. They don't want the American public to know what's happening. There's no question about depleted uranium. Those troops are now exposed, and the incidence of severe congenital anomalies has gone up 700%. And the Department of Defense leaders have done everything they can prevent that information from getting out. Really points to nothing else than conspiracy against the veterans of the United States. We received inoculations. We weren't able to know what they were. Many times the bottles were not labeled. The military has been involved in testing of biologic agents. Hundreds of thousands of our military have been experimented upon without their knowledge or consent. These patients are infected with a stealth-adapted virus. Pathologists that work for the U.S. Army actually hold the patents on the type of particular microbe that we found, and we found that it slowly spread to immediate family members. Something needs to be done before my wife dies, before I die, or any other Gulf War vets die. They have no fight left in them, and they end up homeless. This is where I live here. This is your house, their home, and this is my home. How's our government system? Well, you see it. We live in a society that disposes of our nuisances, and we're finding homeless camps all the time. It's not really living per se, it's just existing. It's a disgrace. Are you a veteran? Are you a veteran? Living out here in the woods. Because I didn't have an address, I couldn't even get food stamps. So I was like stealing fruit from people's gardens and stuff to survive. Not everybody that's homeless is there by any sort of choice. Lose your house, lose your car, lose your job. And what you gonna do? I've literally pulled rocket scientists out of the woods. We have one million veterans out of work in the United States. And we're not all alcoholics, and we're not all drug addicts, and we all bust our ass still to get by. The nation needs to know this. There should be no such thing as a homeless veteran. We got 550 people in Congress. Get them up. I've been treated the last few years very nice. But it took the United States District Attorney to stop all the stuff that they were doing to me. Vietnam veteran Bill Wentzel lived in Medford. Six years ago, he says he had a combination of issues between veterans' facilities in Roseburg and White City. It was torment. Uh, I do believe a lot that they were trying to get me to commit suicide the way they were treating me because I was, uh, I had suicidal thoughts as it was, and that's what I was treated for for that uh, with Prozac. Wenzel says one staff member antagonized him and tried to get Wenzel to punch him. He says that staff member was later relieved of his duties. He also says some doctors classified him as an alcoholic, but he says he doesn't keep alcohol in his house and rarely drinks. 
Wentzel also says staff required him to report to the police department and be escorted before his doctor's appointments. For a while I was escorted. They decided that I, that I was a uh, uh, um, dangerous person and I hadn't done anything. Last year, another Vietnam veteran in Grants Pass developed periodontal or gum disease. He lives on Social Security and disability and was concerned with the cost of dental work. He says the Veterans Hospital in Roseburg told him they could not help him and only active military get dental coverage. His teeth started falling out, so he went to a private dentist and the work cost him $7,000. He says he feels like the veteran facilities treat veterans like children, putting their parents in a rest home once they reach 60 years old. As Memorial Day approaches, Wenzel hopes all veterans receive appreciation and support for serving their country. I agree. They should be. It's, uh, they're the people who gave their best when needed. Covering your news, Aaron Nelson, News 10. There you have it. Really a tragic situation. Um, I'm trying to figure out why veterans are, t- are the easy target. Uh, what is it about our veterans that this type of treatment, you have to be a pretty cold person to do such things. Uh, one of the stories we have here uh, says here in some of the nursing homes that house veterans there's physical abuse to these veterans. State here that physical nursing home abuse includes hitting, kicking, shoving, other forms of physical assault. Physical abuse may cause bruises, cuts, broken bones, or other injuries. In 2017, a disabled veteran claimed the staff at a veteran's home in Alabama gave him two black eyes. He became suicidal following this incident and died a year later. The state's Veterans Affairs Commissioner called on the Alabama Department of Public Health to investigate the veteran abuse claim in 2019. That said, emotional veteran abuse is not limited to verbal threats. 2014, staff members laughed as a dying World War II veteran cried out for help that he could not breathe, but the staff took no action. The veteran's family later filed a lawsuit for wrongful death to get some closure. Um, Dave, your thoughts on that? You see it too often. This is the problem. I mean, I'm looking at an article right here where a 73-year-old veteran was beat up on camera. They have video of this in a veteran's nursing home. How do you do this to veterans? You look at the number of veterans that are that are homeless. You've got on uh, greendoors.org, they say that there were... Uh, 500,000 veterans homeless in a year period of time. You have veterans that died by suicide. In 2019, the, um, the VA reported that there were 6,000 veterans that died by suicide. And NBC News just recently reported that the VA has been underreporting suicides for veterans over the past 10 years and probably longer. When you see and hear those things, you just cannot believe that we treat our soldiers this way. If we heard that Russia was doing this to their soldiers, we'd be in front of the UN saying that there's a problem over there. 
But over here, it's just okay. We can do that. It doesn't matter that a veteran comes back from the war and is homeless and is living on the street, has no medical care, has no um, mental care, has no food. It doesn't matter. This is this is our country. They should come back from any time they've served combat. You pay no taxes for the rest of your life. You've got a home to live in. You've got a job. You've got a pension. You've got all of this because you served your country and could have died doing it. Absolutely right. Uh, This is a story states that they feasted on him. Ants at a Virginia nursing home bit a veteran a hundred times before his death, daughter says. Uh, Laquana Ross knew something was wrong with her father when he flinched as she held his hand. It was swollen. That was just the beginning of the injuries. Ross said she survived in horror earlier this month at a VA hospital in Georgia. A photo shows 74-year-old Joel Maribel's shirt pulled up to reveal red bumps clustered on his stomach. Evidence of more than 100 bites from the ants that filled his room in a veteran's nursing home, his daughter told local news. The calling, the walls, the beds, they were everywhere, Ross said. Ross claimed that the hospital staff told her they thought their patient died when they found him covered in the insect days earlier, according to WSB-TV. Within a day of Ross's visit, she had just gotten back from a trip. She says he had. Ross, who says her father served in the Air Force during the Vietnam War, told WSB-TV that Marble deserved better than what he got in his final days at Eagles Nest Community Living Center part of Atlanta, Virginia, VA's medical center in Decatur, Georgia. I understand mistakes happen, she said. I've had ants, but he was bit by ants two days in a row. They feasted on him. The Atlanta VA healthcare system, which did not respond Thursday to questions from the Washington Post, said in a statement to news outlets that leadership is aware of the ant issue and that the staff immediately cared for the veterans and took action to ensure no other CLC residents were impacted. According to the statement, a pest control company assessed the problem September 9th, two days after Ross said Marble died. Pest control staff are monitoring rooms daily. So what you have here is a straight cover-up. And we're hearing more and more that these nursing homes, they just simply should not be open. How does a veteran get bitten to death by ants in a nursing home and nothing's done? Nothing's done. So they feasted, as the daughter put it, they feasted on her dad and, and all these things that happened. And there's always some lame excuse of why something happened. This is negligence and abuse, and something should be done about it. Absolutely. I mean, they, hear, they said that, oh, we thought he was dead two days prior when we saw them on his body. So you saw them on this veteran. You did nothing to help him, and now that his daughter's there visiting him because he's not dead yet, that's the excuse they want to come up with? I mean, are you kidding me? The fact that there are the, the sheer number of insects in that rest home to do that to a person, that's negligence at, at, at the facility level right there. But then to, to sit there and leave this man alone – long enough for them to not only get on him, but get on, get on him to the point where I'm sure they attribute it to his death. It's absolutely incomprehensible how people can sit there and call themselves a human being and leave a person to die like that. It's, it's incomprehensible to me. Um, uh, Ross says her, her dad got back to the facility. They did a bucket list. 
but they had had good. So there was no sickness really here. Um, of course, other than he was just older. Um, she believes that the staff, without a shadow of a doubt, respected her dad. Uh, she states and even loved him. But what's their ability to assess situations and to fix them? It's a lack of training. And no one should be at a rest home that is not equipped to address issues, especially on this level. Uh, it makes you really sick inside. And if that's my dad, uh, my, my, my uh, loved one that is being treated at such a level, um, it, it gives a little bit of a gauge of where this country really is uh, when it comes to comes to these things. Kendrick? Yeah, and is there some sort of inspection or certification process for this? Because it's supposed to be. You're, you should be caring about your veterans to the point where, hey, we're going to at least make sure there's a level of certifications where they cannot fall below this or you take their certification away. But, like, it seems like you have these government workers who are just trying to get by. They don't care. Uh, it's a veteran, and it, and it's kind of sad to me that we care. We get more news for people that are immigrating to this country, and more focus on how we treat these immigrants. But we don't care about people who paid their lives, lost friends, lost limbs, lost their mental capacity. We don't care that how, that you know the news doesn't care. Why aren't we focusing on how are we treating? How's America treating these people? How come they're not getting facilities to say, you know what, no veteran should be homeless. There should be a government facility that, that they can go to to at least try to get on their feet, to get education, something. But we're leaving them high and dry for people who – you don't see numbers or ever see numbers of people trying to desert or try to uh, run from service in America like you do see, you're seeing now in Russia. I mean they're running for the border. You've never seen it great numbers like that in the United States. You should honor the troops. To yes. say, you know what, we're going to make sure that whatever you do, we're going to take care of you. At least you can have a, a life full of dignity for serving your country. Well, you'd think this would be a bipartisan uh, effort because you would think on both sides of the aisle, uh, we have respect for the veterans of this country. You would think that. It's not something that, you know, they're far to the right on the issue. They're far to the left. This is a bipartisan. When they, when they use the term of bipartisan, Effort that means on both sides this thing should be able to work. Veterans, I believe, fall under that umbrella that there should be some type of coming together, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever you are, to say our veterans, because the freedoms in which we hold dear, somebody had to fight and they died for this. Um, otherwise, we would have a dictatorship in this country at levels we have not begun to comprehend. Uh, the freedoms that we enjoy, many people do not. It doesn't make America um, uh, perfect by any means. But this is the uh, face put on liberty, on caring, on patriotism. This is the face that this country puts on there. But in reality, uh, people are suffering at local VAs. Offices simply not doing what they need to do. They're not taking the time to make sure they're meeting the needs of these veterans. And that's just the fact. They don't have a good name. The VA does not have a good name because so much damage has been done and a lack of care has been done or demonstrated where we are, where we are today. Um, 
William, go ahead. Well, this is a sad reality that we don't we don't really want to digest. But um, I worked for the VA um, for about ten or twelve years uh, doing integration uh, between health systems. The sad reality when you get behind the scenes there is that there are veterans that don't help veterans. Uh, there are people there that work for the VA, they are prior service, prior military, and they do absolutely nothing to help those. So, for instance, I went one time, and our World War II veterans are, you know, they're few and far between. They're, you know, but to see a man that's sitting there with a dubbed up two hat on, and I went immediately. I went over to him and I talked to him, and he's sitting there waiting. I'm like, why is this man waiting for anything? He's ninety some years old. This man is telling me how he was seventeen year old, seventeen years old in the Battle of the Bulge. And why is he waiting on anything in a VA facility? And I and I, I saw him in uh, in Denver, but but throughout my time there, you hear it over and over again. And I'm talking about these are not only people that are that are hands on with veterans. These are people that are actually working projects that are doing giving very little results to the veterans that need them. And the reality is, the veterans here. When you talk to a homeless veteran, they're getting benefits. They get a check. They get they have money. They don't have access to the information that they need. And they and it's almost like the VA hides this information from them. So when you see a homeless veteran, they're getting a check that's being mailed in. I met a guy that was him and his brother. Both of them were veterans. They were living in a tent. He said, "Will you know? I get I get my benefits. I can go to the facility. I can go to the VA facility. I can't get the information that I need. And see, most of the time, these guys are dealing with PTSD. So, just like we've seen, we've talked about in our shows before, how police are don't they don't know how to handle PTSD. Some of the some of the veterans and some of the services that are out there are not geared towards the fact that these guys are coming back from combat." And they're dealing with PTSD, and they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to cope with it. So this is what's going on in a, in a government organization that's designed to help these veterans. It doesn't do it. It falls way short. And we cut, We had a show, um, this was a couple of years ago, to talk about John McCain's bill um, that he, when he found out about the kill list that they had with the Phoenix VA facility. This was his bill. It was in 2018, expanded the coverage for VA, allowed them to go outside of the network for the veterans to go outside of the network, go to their own physician because they were not getting calls back. They were called into the VA facility and they were not getting calls back from physicians to schedule appointments or even follow-ups. So this allowed them to go to their own physician and then the that physician was paid by the VA for them to receive service. And we did have comments by the late John McCain on this show talking about the uh, – he had introduced the Care Veterans Deserve Act of 2016. We played that last week. But he also had something to say uh, regarding uh, the slow care for veterans. Um, and, again, as you said, William, this World, World War II vet – waiting in a room trying to get help in the VA is a slow moving machine but 
the bottom line is time is not on the side of a lot of these veterans. That's true. So to feel like that, you know, I'm gonna, they should be able to get out, get care immediately. There should be no stone left unturned uh, to help our veterans and to be there uh, for the sacrifices. Uh, and not only the sacrifices of the veterans, but the sacrifices of the families, mm-hmm. the wives, the children of, of, of parents that and are enlisted of, and, and did all that they did in this country. But just real quick, a lot of them don't even know that they're eligible for certain benefits and things like that. Again, because they reach out, they don't, you know, they're, they're deprived of information. And so that's the thing. When you were, when I was there, you saw it. And, and of course, you get the rah-rah speech, well, we're going to do this, and we're there to help the veterans. And it's like, well, there's a, there's a vast disconnect because what you're saying is not, is not you know, going down to the veterans that need the help, right? that really need it. And at that time, when I was there particularly, PTSD was one of the biggest things. I mean, because they're sitting there saying, you know, we know these guys are coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, what they've seen. They've never seen in their life. They were trained for, but they never saw it. Now, all of a sudden, they're coming back, and they're trying to, like Samson said, be reintroduced into normal society. Well, now you've experienced things that no one else has ever seen, and so people can't relate to you. Your people around you can't relate to you. Well, the bottom line is there are programs that can be introduced by the United States government to protect I'll use a sport analogy if I can um, when a sport team has players uh, and they're a team trying to attain a championship regardless of what sport it might be the goal is is to protect that team to ensure they're healthy to ensure they have all their needs met from injuries to anything there's nothing left undone for our athletes in this country when it comes to protecting looking out um, for these athletes, regardless whether it's a, if you're motivated by the fact that this is going to bring these organizations money, but they've invested into these sport teams. Uh, Soldiers, we should be invested into our veterans and to the soldiers that go to war, those that are, can be called on the dime. War can break out at any time. Their lives are a living sacrifice. And uh, this is something that, to me, to be ignored uh, and then to be on the street living in a box, that is uncomprehendable to me. How do you let a veteran, no wonder they feel, as the title of this show, America's veterans betrayed by their own country. The, the, The United States government has money for dozens of hundreds of not thousands of programs that they put in place many times wasting dollars but you can't allot money for housing for our men and women who serve on the front lines of 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 our arms of our armed forces i i do not understand that and to have a soldier with a with a hat you know those hats. You know how they look. To be in a box on the side of the road, that, that is uncomprehendable. Let's play a clip regarding the homeless veterans in our country. Uh, it is really troubling to me. It bothers me a great deal. It should bother every American out there. 
And we're so quick to, as a country, as a society, when you get old, nobody knows the story behind that veteran. You don't know what they've endured, what they've suffered, what loss they have felt. And our society throws our seniors away now. Just throw them away. They don't matter anymore. Well, I got news for you, and you should not throw anybody away, none of our seniors, but our veterans, our veterans. The disgrace. Let's play the clip. Troops in Iraq, their job, of course, is to complete the mission. Their hope is to come home. For some, the journey back is full of setbacks and unwelcome surprises. For some, they wind up homeless. A small number of Iraq, Iraq and Afghanistan vets are turning up homeless these days. Their veterans uh, just return back. Maybe they live even near you, living on the streets. Tonight, they're going to meet one of them. There are two things National Guard Corporal Joe Ricaldo never dreamed he'd see. The sun setting over Iraq and the sun setting over his 98 Plymouth, the car he now calls home. I never thought, like, after the ball was dropped, you're out here in this parking lot. I never thought I'd be here. The long road to get here, a parking lot in Jones Beach, New York, began two years ago in Iraq. So you were in the sling here? Yeah, actually, in that top piece of the gun turret. Joe was the gunner in this Humvee when his vehicle took a sharp turn and flipped. His body was nearly crushed underneath. I just remember I couldn't move anything. I couldn't breathe. I was bleeding. You know, I just felt blood all over me, my face. And I squeezed out the words, you better get a medevac fast, because I thought that was it. Joe suffered traumatic brain injury, broke his back, all his ribs, and shattered his left arm. He was unconscious for days. They told my sister, they're going to fly around there. I wasn't going to make it. But to the surprise of his own doctors, he survived. Over many months, doctors pieced him back together using metal rods and screws to fuse his spine and metal plates to hold his shattered arm together. Yeah, not metal. Not a metal. Probably build a small Eiffel Tower with a hardware. <laughs> Today, every step hurts, but Joe remembers when he could run on this beach for miles. Me and my friend, we used to go eight miles that way. Joe can't lift more than 10 pounds, so he couldn't go back to being an auto mechanic. Instead, he took a job with the National Guard patrolling Penn Station in New York. He says he lasted six months before landing in the hospital again with back pain and a bone infection. And at that point, I gave up. I simply gave up. I know I can't work. I have no income coming in. I'm finished. What he had coming in was $218 a month from a disability check. So it wasn't long before Joe, at age 50, ended up homeless. This is my clothes closet here. The trunk is your closet. Yeah, forgive me, the maid never showed up. I'm on a fire when I get a hold. Joe says he's looked for part-time work with no luck. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bob. How are you? He has one sister and a few friends who have offered to help, but he's too proud to accept it and too proud to stay in a shelter. So he spends most days alone, a stranger in his hometown of Hicksville, New York, on Long Island. One possible reason for his withdrawal Joe was recently diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. I just don't belong. I don't feel I belong anywhere around here. Joe is one of an estimated 600 homeless veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan. That's not many compared with the 200,000 or so from all wars who are currently homeless. But these vets are showing up even more quickly than after Vietnam, a war that left nearly 70,000 homeless, an even greater number than died in combat. 
if the experience with Vietnam is any predictor, I am very worried about the numbers of, of, of homeless veterans or people at risk of being homeless who are returning from Iraq and Afghanistan. The Department of Veterans Affairs is working to avoid a repeat of what happened after Vietnam. There was a delayed effect uh, with a lot of veterans after Vietnam. We know that. We've, we've studied it. We've learned from that. And so that's why we're trying to intervene now uh, right away. The VA spent more than a billion dollars on homeless programs last year, but some veterans still fall through the cracks. Misclassified, as the VA now says Joe was, unable to receive full compensation. You feel sort of like you got lost in the system? Absolutely. Lost. I'm still lost. I'm still busy for what happened. And sick and tired of fighting for benefits. Last month, though, Joe's persistence began to pay off. His disability status was raised from 20% to 60%, or $873 a month. But as Joe puts it, in New York, that is just enough to either afford an apartment or eat, not both. I'm disgusted. And it's not because I'm a veteran or a soldier or somebody who served. That means nothing. You know, we choose to go. No one forces us to go. I'm just saying you, got, you should be treated like a human being, for God's sake. It's all I want. And I think about the other veterans from other wars, and they're still fighting to this day. It's just, it's horrible. And I had to live it. It was only after CNN made repeated inquiries about this case that the VA called to inform us that Joe would finally be granted full 100% disability status, retroactive to March and worth $2,600 a month, meaning he may actually get to sleep in a real bed very soon. When we called Joe with the news, he said he'll believe it when he gets the first check. The war in Iraq may have broken his body, but it's the fight here at home that's come close to breaking his spirit. Well, there you have it. Homelessness of our veterans, our heroes that we call them on a day-to-day basis for the price paid uh, for the freedoms that we share. I am almost brought to tears to hear this type of treatment. I cannot only, I cannot imagine and if you've done any time, wartime, to be fighting and living every day, not knowing if you will make it out alive. Thinking that you can come home, home being the United States, suffering many times many losses, only to be treated as if you simply do not count. I try my best to put myself in that, in those shoes, though I can't. Um, I can look at it from a human perspective, how I would feel as a human being to come home to such tragedy. Um, go ahead. Well, you have to, I think, put in perspective what a, what America is. Uh, you hear a lot that the greatest nation in the world is you can't take care of your veterans. Now, they already sent $40 billion to Ukraine for their war effort. Uh, Biden just uh, a couple of days ago asked for another $11.7 billion to go to Ukraine for their war effort. 
Now, when you think about war, there are people that profit from war. So who's profiting from who's profiting from the war? So 11.7 billion. Where's that money going? Well, Lockheed Martin since 2009 has received the most money for building weapons every year. They receive the most money for building weapons and supplying uh, these type of weapons. In fact, uh, as uh, the as a military contractor, they sold 58.2 billion worth of arms and military services in 2020. So the money's just not uh, going. They said, "Well, they, that money's being allocated for Ukraine." Well, that money goes into the pockets of people like Lockheed Martin, and they're going to supply the weapons. So that's that's the name of the game in the United States: is profit uh, and war is a profitable business for a lot of companies. So if you can spend at, at present uh, $40 billion, now another $11 billion, that's, that's $51 billion for the war effort in Ukraine. Well, our men in this country have been in a war effort. So why don't you continue to support them the way you're supporting the people in Ukraine? Because many of their problems are, as, are a result. They train Everything they do is for war. Whether they actually are, are deployed, they, they're still training for war. And they were talking about their adjustment period. Yeah, you can get almost institutionalized into the military way of life, and it comes out as very difficult to adjust. People come out of prison the same way, commit suicide, because they really don't know how to cope and, and, and adapt. So at the end of the day, uh, America monetizes everything uh from a political perspective everybody's always going to pay lip service to veterans and all this other type of stuff but when the where the rubber meets the road they don't actually put their money where their mouth is uh so that's this nation as a whole and that's the political uh bureaucratic machine and that's just how it works everybody to some extent, gets left behind. And finally, uh, Congress never makes law. They never, even every law they, they make, they never really sit down and analyze the, the impact, or do, conduct any sort of impact analysis of how this law is actually going to work. I don't care if VA hospitals, well, if, if you're that concerned about veterans care, just say, okay, veterans, we're going to give them, they can go to any hospital they want, get any doctor they want, and the government will pay for it, for their health care. Instead, they, they build this big bureaucratic machine, the VA uh, complex uh, organization, to handle veterans. Well, veterans just need health care. They don't – there are civilian hospitals everywhere. As long as a veteran is supplied with the money to go to the doctor of his choice, uh, any hospital of his choice, and the VA ha- had the, the travel issues uh, not too long ago where – you had to get to a VA hospital, so they have to travel too far to even get, to get care. And some of the people aren't even in a, a healthy enough to travel that distance. Right. But, so, not even resolving that problem, the distance problem, shows that it's just the way bureaucracies fail and politics continuously fail. Then it takes almost an act of God to change something like that because it's, it's a part of the bureaucratic machine. Well, this this reads here uh, comes from a report 
by Gibbs and Sellers PC, September 25th, a couple years ago. Uh, many people need to live in a nursing home at the end of their lives, though all seniors living in these facilities deserve the best care. It seems especially important for the people who put their lives on the line in service to this country. Veterans of our military often require extensive medical care as they age, and one of the best places to receive it is a nursing home run by Veteran Affairs. If you are a veteran or you care for someone who is, it may shock you to learn that some VA nursing homes do not practice the proper standards of care. In fact, an inspection conducted early this year that included facilities in Alabama found that VA nursing homes in half the country harm residents in various ways. A private contractor inspected 99 different VA nursing homes for several months during 2018. It found that 52 of those facilities had conditions that generated actual harm to veteran residents. 11 of them received citations for conditions known as immediate jeopardy to residents, which means the nursing home's negligence placed residents in danger of imminent harm. Advocates for veteran welfare are shocked and upset at the findings, and you may be too, especially since many of the harmful conditions are easily treatable or avoidable, such as bed sores. Only seven VA nursing homes had no deficiencies. The findings of the study found several conditions that were cause for concern. Staff at VA at your loved one's nursing home and others should take precautions to prevent the spread of infection, and inspectors frequently found that they failed to do so. Two-thirds of the facilities didn't properly use sterile gowns or gloves when interacting with residents or use other simple safety measures. Over 50 of the facilities exposed residents to dangerous conditions and failed to monitor them in a manner, a manner conducive to safety. That is just pure negligence and laziness. These are avoidable situations uh, that can be avoided if people will do what they're supposed to do. But this is what I'm finding is, is that people are um, finding a culture here of simply people not caring. Those facilities in reality should have been shut down, should have been shut down immediately. And some type of action of negligence should have been that to me criminally charged for the people who have put these people in harm's way. I believe we have a caller on the line. Um, let's see. I believe it's Joe has a comment or a question. Joe, are you with us? Yep, I'm here. Yeah, I used to be a vet. Okay, in the in the Air Force. And yes. while I was in there, the um um this continuation of abuse hasn't just happened now. And maybe it's it's made the forefront in the last uh, ten years or so. But when I was there, I went to the hospital a few times. Um, not to stay in the hospital, but I went to the hospital in order to get treated for something minor. While I was mm-hmm. there, I, I observed, for example, one doctor who used to walk around on cowboy boots. Remember the mm-hmm. year the TV series MASH? Yeah. Where it, was, it, it was very well written, and the doctors, they were very good. They had their, uh, their intentions were very good for repairing whatever injuries that the, uh, you know, the, the uh, vets or, let's say, the soldiers in North Korea would incur. But they still defied custom. Hawkeye or whoever the other the other guy was, that's the way it is in the Veterans Administration, in the uh, in the medical profession part of it. Mm-hmm. They don't care and they get away with it. 
So it's not surprising, well, a little surprising, but it's not surprising to me to hear you read that report about how the Inspector General and the independent um, entity found all these abuses in the hospitals. Because in this in the secular world, in the world outside of the military, doctors are responsible for about 90,000 deaths a year of avoidable deaths. Mm-hmm. And who does the monitoring? It was the physicians themselves who reported it. They do not care. Most of us, when we go to doctors, whether it's in the military or outside of the military, we always meet most of the doctors who have a God complex. Yes. They think they can't do anything wrong. They're arrogant, extremely impudent, and they have to be put in their place. I put one doctor when I went to the VA hospital in this place because I was re- I was just wasn't just wasn't in the mood. Right. So uh, you know, and you also mentioned about well, I think you mentioned Lockheed. Ever um ever ever hear of a book called um, War Is a Racket? I have not. War is a racket. War is a racket. It was written by a general called Smedley Butler, who was a two-time Congressional Medal of Honor winner. And he, he was in World War One, World War Two, and he plainly states because the book is only about seventy-two pages long, he clearly states that war is only meant to make profits for the civilian companies and whoever is associated with them in the military. So you're you're spot on in your observations about war. Wow, that is something. And Joe, let me say this. Uh, Let me thank you for your service uh, to this country uh, and what you have uh, endured. Uh, I'll apologize for whatever you have gone through as a result of this system, but make no mistake about it. uh, Your service to this country is very appreciated. I want you to know that. And uh, I, I do appreciate. Thank you. Go ahead. But I also want, I also want to <laughs> bring things down to reality. I was not. No. Um, I served. I served many, many years ago, and I was not um, in combat. Luckily, I had a very plush indoor job. So the yeah. people that I thank are the same ones you thank. They're my heroes. The ones who served in country or served at the front or in Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, had to suffer the tension and the anxiety and the bullet flying. Those are the heroes. I thank you for your appreciation of my service because every spoke in the wheel is important in its own way. I also recognize that (laughs) it's our combat vets. God, do they need more gratitude and appreciation than what we're giving them. Yes, they do. Joe, thank you so much for calling tonight. Feel free to call in anytime. We do appreciate you. Anytime. Thank you so much. And uh, David, when you hear Joe's comments, your thoughts? Well, it's, I think everybody wants to, Americans are enamored with the idea of greatness. But in reality, we don't, we don't deal with reality of what things actually are uh we're just america's good at making money so don't tell me war is not about money the re- the money uh poured into that's made from reconstruction there will be 
billions upon billions upon billions of dollars made when Ukraine, when the war in Ukraine is over to rebuild buildings, infrastructure, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, Joe made a good point. Uh, And I'm going to find that book, War is a Racket, because I've always... I've always believed that, and that's just that's the reality of, of where, where we live. Uh, most Americans, including veterans, they really eat from the crumbs of the tax money that actually comes in, and that's that's where they actually benefit the most. So American citizens, in general, uh, money goes to special interests. American Americans Americans benefit on the fringes of that money that money is never really used for the purpose it's supposed to be used for even some of the va uh nursing homes they're contracted by the va well take a look at that business model uh nursing homes are contracted to do business on behalf of the va well look at schools they feed on the government too colleges they get government money subsidies so they uh bring people in they're there to make money and the federal government is paying for their services. So this all falls down, uh, well, rather comes down to big business. The United States is about big business. The United States government is about big business. We want a feel-good story. Hey, they care. They're concerned. The country in which I fought for, hold the flag. Let's hold it up and sing our patriotic songs and all of that stuff. But when it comes down to caring, to being about your brother or your sister first. It's all a facade. And that's just the reality that David alludes to, the reality. Nobody wants to deal with the reality because it's ugly. It takes the, it it lessens the brightness of our flag because we lift that flag in honor of a lot of things. Are there freedoms and things here that we do enjoy? Probably so. But it's not enough. Okay. And it began. It, to me, it begins to decay, and we've America's lost their way. And it's not about fault finding this country. It is the facts that are before us. What we see in these reports, what these congressmen, Congressman Senator McCain, what he fought for, saying veterans are treated this way and that way, it shouldn't be. Well, just take a look. They're sending 51 billion, already 40 billion to Ukraine. Nobody talked about. Well, let's get an extra fifty billion towards veterans, or or deal with a specific veteran issue per se, uh, veteran homelessness. Well, let's put fifty billion towards there. Before the war, somebody could have suggested this, but they didn't. You could do a lot. You could do a lot, or you, you could say we still got the veteran problem. We need to allocate another hundred billion towards veteran homelessness or veterans' mental health. Whatever the right. cause is, there needs to be more money and and more attention. And critical attention to address these particular needs. And I am going to go into the, we're going to take a quick break, but we are going to go into the Marriage and Family Therapist for Veterans Act. Uh, and that was done, as I, as I thought earlier, uh, in regards to Congressman Scott Peters uh, for the 52nd District of California. We did meet with him uh, in Washington, D.C. And these particular things here, uh, is what I was talking about earlier. Marriage and Family Therapists for Veterans Act, 21st Century Care for Military and Veterans Act, Shelter, Our Service Members Act, Veteran Employment Transition Act, 
Congressman Peters was really involved with trying to bring these things. We're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. We're also going to get a clip from Senator McCain. Uh, he talks about the uh, he, he condemns slow care for veterans. He begins to speak to that issue. We're going to hear that and much, much more as this dialogue continues as we focus on America's veterans betrayed by their own country and left behind. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can have a I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. stroke after being forgotten in a vehicle in 70 degree weather it takes only minutes for the inside of a car to heat up like an oven at 104 degrees heat stroke begins followed by loss of consciousness yeah. we go an hour and a half or so forever. Look before you lock. Brought to you by Kids in Cars.
incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioral problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we focus on our veterans and our heroes, really, uh, that have been left in harm's way, feel free to dial in to the show tonight, 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. We'd love to hear from you and have a comment or a question for this show. Uh, we were talking earlier about uh, Congressman, uh, Congressman Peters, Scott Peters from California, was really doing a lot of work to try to protect veterans. As you know, California is a high uh, veteran population. Um, and uh, he really, really was pushing hard to look after our veterans. We did a spotlight on Capitol Hill series on him some years ago. Uh, but a couple of things, a couple of Veterans Act uh, that he was in, really trying to get passed, Marriage and Family Therapist for Veterans Act, uh, the 21st Century Care for Military and Veterans Act, Shelter Our Service Members 
Act, Veteran Employment Transition Act, uh, a, a number of things that they were uh, really attempting to do. Uh, and it is something that should be noted here. Uh, shelter our service members, which, which was House Bill 2813, uh, requires the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, and the Department of Housing and Urban Development to jointly establish a two-year pilot program of grants to nonprofit organizations to provide elderly homeless veterans with non-transitional housing. Allows recipients to use such grant to purchase real property to provide up to 200 homeless veterans with non-transitional housing and to refurbish or renovate such property. These were things, as David was talking about, the money that's been given uh, just in the in the uh, uh, the war uh, and war efforts. You have money to pass and to support these bills that we're talking about. Uh, Samson, you were talking about in your time in the service, you were almost a victim of homelessness at that time upon leaving the service. Go ahead and tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I got back from Iraq in 2010 um, and basically was immediately put into what they call a med board process. Um, essentially, I had gotten hurt where I could no longer serve in the military and was being processed out. I got processed out in 2013 and had undergone, you know, like we're talking about the uh, the mental health stuff, like reintegration training therapy for like two and a half years. And I mean, it was just at a point where it, if it wasn't for the grace of God and my grandmother, um, I would I would have been homeless in 2015. I had I mean, basically felt felt cast aside, you know, not really. I mean, I, I went through training, you know, as far as like using my GI Bill and stuff like that. But it just, you know, people see that you're a war veteran, you have to put on there, they ask you, do you have a disability? You know, I'm not going to lie on an application. And they see that and it's automatically like we're pushed to the bottom of the pile or they, they, if there's a, there's a stigma against, you know, combat veterans and trying to put us back into, you know, what people deem as normal society. Um, so yeah, there was a time there where it's like, it was really, really, really tough. It was really hand to mouth. And it was, um, so when I hear about, you know, the mistreatment of veterans all across the United States, it, it really hits close to home for me. You know, I saw a, a 2015 article how 300,000 veterans had died um, while waiting for VA care. And there were another, there were twice as many that was projected to be still be waiting in the queue. Um, I mean, I've gone to war with the VA. Um, and thankfully, I, I mean, I'm at, you know, 100%, you know, disability now. But it wasn't always that way. I mean, this is a decade-long fight to try and get what, you know, I feel was warranted the, the, the day I got out of the military. Um, and the fact matters, there, it, it, I wish it was unique, but there are, I mean, tens of thousands of cases where veterans are out there. They can't get the help they rightfully deserve. They can't live a life or live out their days in dignity. Instead, they're forced to find something to write on a piece of cardboard and beg for the help of the citizens they, that they laid their lives down to defend. It's, it's, it's an absolute travesty to me that the men and women that go and put their life on the line are forced to beg the people that they defend, hey, please just let me live out the rest of my days. Please let me come back to society. Please let me continue to serve. Let me continue to contribute. Instead, you know, we have an ever-growing homeless uh, veteran populace, and it's, it's disgusting. It really is, and it's something that this should be a top priority uh, for government officials and for our country, should rate our veteran situation a number one priority in this country. It's just important to do. 
uh, I'm not a politician, uh, and it doesn't take major amount of education to come to that conclusion. It's common sense to me. Common sense says you take care of your own. You take care of the people that take care of you. It's just a common practice. You play a clip about priority with our veterans. Play the clip. The brave servicemen and women that have selflessly given and sacrificed so much for our country deserve our lifelong appreciation and respect. It's been well over a year after we as a nation were outraged learning about the travesty of care and treatment our veterans were receiving from the VA. The president was said to be enraged over the matter. But has anything changed? The sad truth is the culture within the VA is still broken ridden with fraud and mismanagement. 50% more veterans are waitlisted for a month or longer than when the scandal originally broke. Only two low-level employees have been fired, and it took just till this week for an employee to face criminal charges. Meanwhile, the president has offered no guidance when a permanent inspector general will be in place. It's been over 18 months. But this saddens me. We owe our veterans more. They deserve better. They deserve our best. We have an obligation, a moral duty to take care of the men and women who have served and have fought so bravely on our behalf. Next week, the House will be taking up another bill to change the outdated bureaucratic culture within the VA. H.R. 1994, the VA Accountability Act. This bill, as it is aptly named, will increase accountability at the VA. It enhances whistleblower protections and it makes it easier for the VA secretary to fire insubordinate employees, and it helps change the entire negligent and deceptive culture within the VA. Now, this isn't the first bill the House has passed through Congress to put our veterans first and hold the VA accountable. This past January, I supported House passage of the Clay Hunt Suicide Prevention for Americans Veterans Act, which increases access to mental health care resources for our veterans. Between 18 to 22 veterans commit suicide every single day. As we know, not all wounds are visible, and I was proud to see the bill signed into law in February. I'm proud to also co-sponsoring the Reducing Barriers Veterans Education Act, which allows veterans to pay for university, community college, or technical schools application fees using their GI Bill benefits. In the 6th District, back home in North Carolina, I'll be hosting a series of veterans roundtables. I want to hear from all veterans and understand exactly what problems they have faced in dealing with the VA. We will continue to work until we get to the very bottom of this. Serving our veterans will remain a top priority and I will continue to fight for solutions that will modernize the VA and hold the administration and the VA accountable and force them to confront the fundamental flaws and the outdated bureaucracy that are deep within the department. We need and we must uphold our commitment to them. We owe them our very best. In the words of Ronald Reagan, the blessings of liberty which our ancestors secured for us and which we still enjoy are ours only because in each generation there have been men and women willing to bear the hardships and sacrifices of serving in the military forces we need to preserve our freedom. These fine men and women have not sought glory for themselves, but peace and freedom for all. They exemplify the spirit that has preserved us as a great nation, and they deserve our recognition for everything they have done.
welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. Uh, dealing with this veterans issue and the clip that we just played shows that there are people on the Hill that are attempting and trying to get something done for our veterans here. And that, you know, as, as Congressman Walker said, uh, this is a top priority uh, in the clip that you just heard. That's exactly what it is, and it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, Demetrius, you had a comment? Well, I looked at the, the Veterans Affairs budget for this fiscal year in 2022, and it's over $340 billion. And to the point earlier that David made in the caller, where's this money going to? Um, and you start looking at the breakdown, the money's not going to the veterans. My dad is one of the, uh, the 50% of the veterans that are over 65. So it's uh, as I said before, they're, it's like they're waiting for these old gentlemen that served our country in Vietnam and in uh, different places to just die off versus paying them what they're rightfully owed. He's only 80% disabled uh, that he gets from the VA, and he should be 100. He, he served 20 and a half years, but you spend all this money that's allocated, but where is that money going? Is it going to – uh, the, the, these uh, companies that David alluded to, that, that's my concern. It's like you, you spend all this money every year for Veterans Affairs, but yet we hear all this from suicides to uh, the veterans not getting their 100% disability that served our country. Well, you wonder how much of that contributes to the suicide rate in this country, uh, feeling like they're just simply forgotten. Uh, I think we came up with the number, over 8,000 suicides a year by veterans. We lose 8,000 lives. Every year, veterans to suicide in this country, uh, that is a disgrace. And there is no preventative steps in place or preventative measures that say we are going to turn the, the, turn the, the corner, if you will, and get some things done. Demetrius, the number you gave on the uh, for veterans, this year, did you say $340 billion? Just for fiscal year 2022, yes. More than enough money to put suicide prevention centers, right. counseling, um, all of those things. We did have um, something uh, uh, by Congressman uh, Peters that we were talking about earlier, um, uh, which was permits the use of telecommunication systems to provide an item of service to current and former members of the uni uniformed services and their dependents under the TRICARE plan with health care benefits administered by the Department of Defense to veterans receiving health care benefits under plans administered by the Department of Veteran Affairs. These, these are all things that could be in place if enforced or invoked is law. That these type of things is something uh, that, could definitely, uh, that could definitely work out. And I don't understand. My problem is why is not more being done uh, by members of Congress, uh, and I don't, please please don't take this wrong, for the people that uh, are, are the Congress people, such as uh, Congressman Scott Peters, again, a very, very, uh, to me, a man of, of morality who we talked to in D.C. a few years back, seems to be trying to get things in place. They do have the Marriage and Family Therapist for Veterans Act, revi revises the excuse me, el eligibility criteria, for appointment to a marriage and family therapist position with the Veterans Health Administration of the Department of Veteran Affairs to require a person to hold a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, excuse me, and comparable degree in mental health 
from an institution uh, that is regionally accredited or approved by the VA secretary. Um, this is part is to help what we talked about earlier, the mental health challenges with soldiers coming back from war. These are all things that $340 billion in a budget, without any hesitation, without any problem, if these things are passed into law, could help tremendously. And why there's a dragging, because you're, again, I don't understand the partisan part of it, because to me, this, a, this should be on both sides, sides of the aisle, that we care about our veterans. What is the argument? What is the disagreement? You shouldn't have it. You shouldn't have it with homelessness and veterans. You shouldn't have it. You shouldn't have it with food stamps uh, to help people that, that are not making money, that are hurting in our country. Why is there a debate for things that can make a difference? I do not understand that. Clint. Yeah. Um, you know, lip service is one thing. A true caring takes compassion, and it has to be done holistically. It's a big old bureaucracy. And if one piece falls down, the whole thing doesn't get done. So it has to be caring from the top and throughout. So it just can't be lip service because it will result in you use me, now you don't want to pay me. And that's exactly what's been happening with these veterans. No, that's absolutely. And it's, again, it's a disgrace. Finish your thoughts. Yeah, the veterans, again, I was thinking about what uh, what everybody was saying in reference to our uh, veterans, you know, you would think that that, that you know every, every every company, every business would be reaching out to them, but that's not how it works. I thought about the time when I got out. I was so nervous because of the lack of skills and 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 not having them. And then in order to get the education, it's not automatic. You got to have a percentage of disability just to get that education. If you didn't get the GI Bill or beep when you was in so it's kind of scary so i can understand what these veterans are feeling when they get out and they say oh man i gotta get a job i gotta take care of my family i gotta feed my kids i gotta do all these things and when they find out that it's not easy to do some result to uh suicide which is a sad story but it's just it's fact and if there's not a lot of programs out there to reintegrate them into society into civilian life, you get suicides. Horrible. It really is. It's up to Dave, you had a comment? Polo? When you look at everything that's going on, again, our country has enough money that they could be taking care of the veterans. And the question is, why aren't they? It's because we're funneling money to big business. We're funneling money here and there. It's not going to the men and women that need it. And we have to change that. No, absolutely right. Uh, it is something that's a tragedy. Uh, it's one of those things that kind of uh, leave you speechless as to what is the motive. But it, the motive is big business. We we choose to put money in areas that brings big returns. To put money into the veterans, uh, to me, it would bring big returns because they are able to be uh, – uh, notable people and contributors of our society. Uh, if you take care of them, if you look out for them, well, uh, again, America has lost her way in a very bad way uh, when it comes doing the right thing. Um, and I don't care how they twist it, how you flip it towards a political position of why not. 
uh, that simply just is not the case. Um, and that's something that, that needs to be looked at. Tanik, you had something? Um, just some stats on mental health and suicide. Um, it said suicide is the second leading cause of death um, for veterans since 9-11. Um, they said that a veteran is 50, has a 50% higher risk for suicide than the average person. Um, they said less than 50% of veterans in need actually receive the mental health treatment that they need. And this one uh, was a shock to me. They said more than 70% of the veterans who commit suicide do it outside some type of Veterans Health Administration care facility. And they say they do that, uh, they believe, to set uh, a message to let people know there's such, uh, you know, ongoing problems and that they have waited and waited and waited for access to VA medical care or a facility. So they are... Uh, committing suicide um, outside of the VA facilities? Correct. Hospitals and care facilities. It's not a surprise. When you see how poorly the VA takes care of their veterans, you can see that they, they would be doing this. I've read article after article. There's one article here where a veteran who um, who was overprescribed. He had a barrage of 16 different opiates in his system when he went into cardiac arrest. It took them, he's in the VA hospital. It took them 10 minutes to start CPR and 30 minutes to find uh, a defibrillator. Did he live? No. Well, well you, I mean, the reality is, and to this point, <clears throat> excuse me, when you go to a VA facility, like we go to the one here in in, uh, in Colorado Springs, you go, you see big signs out there that says, you know, no weapons, no this, no that, no, you know, basically they want it to be a safe area. And I and I sat there and I looked and I said, these guys, you realize there's a waiting room full of people. And it's like, what what would prevent somebody from coming in there and, God forbid, you know, harming others? Because they're not getting a response. They're not getting the care that they needed. And these are not just happening. You know, they didn't just make one or two calls. These people are making call after call and not getting a response. They're not getting recalls back, uh, return calls from VA physicians to say, hey, listen, I received your call. We're trying to get you scheduled or arranged to meet, you know, this, this specialist or something along those lines. So you realize this, these people go there and they wait. And I'm talking about they wait a good portion of the day just to see one person. And then they don't know when, the, when they'll get a follow-up. I'm going to play a clip, another troubling clip uh, dealing with this issue. Let's play it. Fifty-six-year-old Jerome Murdo, a homeless former Marine, was arrested for trespassing at a housing project while looking for a warm place to sleep. He was being held at Rikers Island on $2,500 bail. One week later, on Valentine's Day, he was found dead, wrapped in a blanket in a jail cell that had overheated to at least 100 degrees because of faulty heating equipment. Because it's supposed to be the land opportunity at home, the brave and free. And my brother served in the military. And for that to happen to him, is a disgrace. These veterans have gone somewhere to war and then honorably discharged, and they're discharged to nothing, to nothing. 
to the streets. But many of them end up homeless. We spend all this money on recruitment, the millions on ads to get people to join up, the millions and billions on the equipment to make sure they're well-equipped when they're fighting a war. And then they come home and there's no money to give them an apartment and, and some decent opportunities to work. Why are we allowing that to happen? One of the problems we have is that uh, people outside of homelessness think homelessness is contagious. And then they, they view them as other than human. And if they could see up front the challenges that a homeless person faces, they would want to make sure that nobody experienced the pain and the suffering of homelessness. That's one of the worst human tragedies in, in uh, the United States. These people are forgotten. And they're Americans. But we can't forget nobody. It's like Vietnam. Nobody left behind it. Well, there you have it. Another tragedy. Um, what do you possibly say? Um, it, it is really saddening to me. Where did America devalue human life? And life simply doesn't matter anymore. A Marine found wrapped in a piece of carpet. It's a disgrace. There is no face that you can put on it other than a horrible one because that's what it is. Um, my father served in the military for 20 and a half years. Um, Charles Banks, senior, um, and was a, a true soldier. I try to put myself in a place that what if that was my dad, that they did that to? How heartbroken I would be because that's my father. These men that we talk about tonight is someone's father, somebody's brother, um, let alone the soldiers that they serve with. That's a heart wrencher, it's a heartbreaker, is what it comes out to be. Samson, go ahead. No, just just listen to everything we've talked about tonight. Uh, a little cliche, little thing, whatever it came to my mind, is like that um, nobody appreciates the guard dog until the wolf is at the gate. No more have you seen people rally behind our soldiers and service members until a tragedy happens here on our own soil. Until there's somebody that's threatening their way of life, their stability, with things that they care about. Then veterans get recognized then they get appreciated then stuff like that actually happens i mean you see you we, we all saw it you know Sep, september 12 2001 i guarantee was the biggest boom in record in recorded history for recruiting because the fact of the matter is that somebody dared to, to attack 
the United States of America, and instantaneously you saw patriotism like nobody's business. But now, where are we 20 years later when the patriots that raised their hand on that day, they're getting ready to retire. They're getting ready to get out of service. They're getting ready to try and go back to a life that they gave up you know, all those years ago. Oh, absolutely right. I do want to say this. I would be remiss not to recognize Pastor Rose Banks, Colorado Springs Fellowship, um, consistently in this community, uh, takes a moment to thank our military for their service. Um, that is a day of recognition. Our co-host, Dennis Merritt, is part of that process. We're going to hear a little bit from Rose Banks, Pastor Rose Banks of Colorado Springs Fellowship, and thanking our military. Let's play the clip. Yes, we can thank God for our military families. Having been a military wife for 21 years, I know the sacrifices that are made every day. We are so thankful to God for you to be here today, for all that you've done in our behalf. In the behalf of people that may not never say thank you, well, my husband spent two times in Vietnam. He's no longer with us. He's been passed away uh, last month for 19 years. But had he been here, this would have been the special part that he would have loved because he loved being a soldier. And I say to the families and to the children of military families that we are so glad that you're here, but you make a tremendous sacrifice. Not just sometime, every time. Every day, whether there's a war or not, you're making a sacrifice. I remember when we were stationed in Germany, uh, my husband, they would, uh, because we lived off post and, and the a housing area was a, a good ways from the base, ever so often they would have a, a, a drill and to see how fast you could get to the post if there was an emergency. And... I was just up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you hear this loud, loud noise just sounding throughout the whole housing area. And I'm telling you, I've never seen my husband move that fast in my life. In a few minutes, he was in boots, uh, ready to go out that door because it was a matter of whether you could get there in time in case of an emergency. So in the middle of the night, you may have to give your husband up. And so, and you don't know exactly when he's coming back. And so there are many, many sacrifices. And sometimes even when I gave birth to my children, he was not there. But I am grateful for all of you that are willing to do what you do for our country. There you have it. Pastor Rose Banks, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. I believe on Military Sunday, she took a moment to thank the soldiers uh, that are on the front lines every day. Uh, it is a, uh, a consistent act of love and appreciation, uh, and that is a consistent thing at the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. If there is not wartime going on or different issues, Dennis, uh, you being a part of that, um, uh, that must mean a whole lot. It means a whole lot, especially when you see the, the look on the uh, we call I call them warriors, but uh, look on our you know look on our military and 
and they, they, they see the appreciation because a lot of them, I'm telling you, you get a, you get a piece of paper, uh, nothing else. But when somebody actually from the community reaches out to you and then you heard the pastor's words, that's very touching. And that makes you feel like, yeah, maybe it was worth it. Maybe, maybe, maybe some people do. Care. So, yeah. That, that is home. Well, to every soldier that may listen to this show tonight or uh, in our archives, this show is, lives on. Uh, AJC Radio, Just Cause Organization, gives a very special thanks to you and the service and the sacrifices that you have made. It is our belief, it is our intention to stop and take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for the sacrifices made. Thank you for the sometimes sleepless nights as you await orders to report to war. I think it is our duty to say thank you and to salute all those um, who have served with honor. To our soldiers on this panel, Dennis Merritt, Sampson Riddle, Clinton Stewart, we say a very special thank you for time served uh, in our in our armed sir, in our armed forces. We appreciate that, and also to include David Banks, also um, a veteran uh, that knows what we're talking about tonight. We say thank you to everyone. Uh, Dave, as you hear this show as we conclude it tonight, I think we done the best we can to paint a picture to our listeners of what's important and what's not. Uh, as we sit here tonight and he, the things that we've heard it again to Joe, he says he had a plus job, but you were still a soldier. We say thank you for his service as well. How important is that, that we recognize those that have worn the uniform in honor of this country? It's very important that we do that, and we need to think about that every day. And people that are listening, you need to contact your congressmen and your senators and tell them to support bills that are helping our veterans, that are going to change the way we look at uh, our veteran community in the in the United States today. No, absolutely right. Kendrick, any closing comments? I just hope that something like this can change the narrative so that we just quit looking at our veterans. Our veterans should be put in a spot where they're considered special. I mean, we do it for law enforcement. We do it for medical. We do it for a lot of sure. other professions where we say, you know what, let's remember them and honor them, put them in little special places. So they, they're there serving the community. Well, yep. our troops get sent to foreign lands to protect us here. Yeah. So when they come home, why aren't they treated as heroes? Up? Yeah, but and with yeah. respect to say, you know what, you 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 put your life on in danger. So when you get back home, we're going to make sure you get the best, at least healthcare. You know, so you can go to the hospital. You can when you're time to retire that you can have a place where you can retire with dignity and not be homeless. And if and if you need looking for opportunity, that there's there's places you can go to. Like, hey, let's help you get back on your feet. It's just a tragedy that. They represent us when they go overseas. The military, they don't see the military. All those countries see America. They represent this country, and they should be treated as such. No, no, absolutely right. And uh, Kendrick, your dad is a is a veteran, correct? Correct. Uh, Norman Bowden? 
and he spent uh, time in Korea, I believe. I understand. Yeah. And a very special salute to him as well as a soldier. And we thank him for his service. Dibler Harper, uh, we salute him as well. Uh, the list goes on. For those that we that are named and not named, yes, William. You know, I was just thinking along Kendrick's lines. One of the best things I saw, you know, these guys come back home, they're active duty. I was in DFW, and they announced a veteran that was coming, or excuse me, uh, an active duty military is coming back from the combat zone. And they they were getting off the plane, and they announced it. And that was one of the best things I saw, just to pay tribute for the service that that person had, was making for the, to the country. And the whole terminal just stood up and just, you know, just a, a bold applause for this man that was getting off the plane in his in his uniform. And uh, it was just really one of those great things. To see. And a, a special salute also to Bernard Hodges, part of our production team. Thank you for his service as well. Uh, and to all those that have sacrificed uh, and given uh, really uh, their lives committed to service. A very special appreciation. To all of our veterans out there, thank you. God bless you. And we salute you here from Agency Radio and the Just Calls organization. So next time, America, good night. mentioned tonight, veteran Latricia Dixon, also in our studio, part of our research team. Thank you for your service. And good night, America. Until next time.